Welcome to the Purposeful Wealth Podcast, the go-to podcast on how to bring clarity, contentment and certainty to your financial life. Brought to you by Jonathan Gibson, founder of Wells Gibson and author of the Purposeful Wealth book. Pick up your copy of Purposeful Wealth on Amazon and please enjoy this show. Welcome to this episode from the Purposeful Wealth Podcast and why investment costs really matter. The late, great Jack Bogle, the founder of Vanguard and the grandfather of index investing, left us all with a simple mantra that he repeated almost every time he wrote an article or gave an interview. That mantra was, and still is, costs matter. He also often used to say, in investing, you get what you don't pay for. And therein lies the rub. In day-to-day life, we tend to make a connection largely correctly that you get what you pay for. If you need a good lawyer, it will probably cost you. If you want the paint to last on your windows, employ a decorator who costs more because they will spend more time prepping the surfaces and, and using better quality products. Whereas if you buy cheap, you buy twice. Yet when it comes to investing, broadly speaking, the exact opposite applies. The more you pay in ongoing charges to invest in a fund and all the costs associated with owning the fund over the time, such as those it incurs when buying or selling shares, means that on average that there is less money left to put in your pocket. It would be easy to select a good fund if all you had to do was pick the most expensive manager, which might set you back significantly more than 1% a year. Yet we know, for example, that over 85% of all US equity funds failed to beat the market over 20 years, not least because of the high cost they incur. But trying to pick in advance skilled managers who will beat the market in the next 20 years is extremely taxing. In fact, if you reverse your strategy and pick the cheapest fund, it's likely, although never guaranteed, to be a better option. Taking equity funds available for sale in the UK, both the 300 or so index funds delivering the market return and the 5,000 or so non-index funds seeking to beat the market return the average costs and the difference between them are approximately 0.85% per annum or 85 basis points as we often refer. Taking the 300 index funds which focus on delivering the market and the 5,000 or so non-index funds seeking to beat the market, these are funds available in the UK, there's a cost differential of nearly 1% per annum. Now, if we assumed that both the index funds and the non-index fund managers captured the same market return before costs, which is a reasonable position to take, we can calculate the differential wealth outcomes over time between the less costly fund and the more costly fund. This seemingly small difference of nearly 1% or 0.85% per annum could make a huge difference to what your retirement might look like. For instance, the lower cost option would result in 9% more wealth over 10 years, 19% more wealth over 20 years, and a whopping 41% more wealth over 40 years. 
So if you're serious about creating wealth for you and your loved ones, investment costs really matter. Or put it another way, at the end of 40 years, which is not an unreasonable investing horizon, if the high-cost strategy ended up with £1 million, the lower-cost strategy would have given you £410,000 more money to spend, all else being equal. So perhaps we should also take heed another investing titan. Warren Buffett of Berkshire Hathaway reflects on the trouble the wealthy sometimes have in buying something cheap. And in this case, he's talking about low-cost index funds. In his 2016 letter to Berkshire Hathaway shareholders, Warren wrote, the financial elites, wealthy individuals, pension funds, college endowments and the like, have great trouble meekly signing up for a financial product or service that is also available to people investing only a few thousand dollars. This reluctance of the rich normally prevails even though the product at issue is clearly the best choice. So as an investor, you should not lose sight of the fact that you put up 100% of the capital and you take 100% of the risk of doing so. Surely you deserve to pocket the bulk of the returns on offer. So remember this one last time, investment costs really do matter. In this episode, we are going to consider what investing is and what good and bad investing looks like. So what is investing? That may seem an obvious question with an obvious answer. And in some ways it is. At my company, Wells Gibson, based in Dundee, Scotland, we believe investing to be the process of building and preserving purchasing power that helps to fund our desired lifestyle and personal choices. In other words, funding your desired lifestyle now if you're retired or in the future, if you're still accumulating or building wealth, investing is a slow, emotional, and sometimes painful process. Investing requires a well-thought-out plan executed over many years with discipline and patience. Anyone hoping to get rich quick as a gambler and playing the wrong game, likewise anyone unwilling to take on at least some risk, is a saver. Now we have considered what investing is, let's consider what good investing looks like. At Wells Gibson, we consider good investing to be about being able to sleep well at night knowing that your portfolio has a good chance of delivering you with the growth and wealth that you need. I would go further and say that good investing can bring contentment to your financial life where you are less anxious about tomorrow. We think good investing is best achieved by being guided by the academic theory and empirical of evidence that's available to us. And believe me, there's plenty of it. It turns out that focusing on broad diversification to capture broad market returns makes perfect sense. And as we've talked about in previous podcasts, By diversification, we mean diversifying your investment portfolio. That means your pensions, your ISAs, your general investment accounts. It means diversifying across regions, asset types, 
market sectors and companies. And this is what you need to know about good investing. Don't try to time when to be in or out of equity markets. Don't try picking individual companies to invest in. Aim to keep investing costs low and stick with the plan. If you apply these principles, these really do improve the odds of a successful investment experience. And the one thing that no one, including you or me, can control is what the markets do, particularly in the shorter term. Time, patience and discipline are your allies in this three steps forward and one step back world that investing inhabits. So what does bad investing look like? Bad investing, I think, includes many low odds of success activities. These would include jumping in and out of equity markets. Many investors panic out of fear when there is a fall in markets. As an investor, you should know, you need to know that markets can be quite turbulent. And just as turbulence is a characteristic of flying, well, volatility is a characteristic of investing in global equity markets. If you have a wealth plan, your financial planner can define your capacity for falls in the value of your portfolio. Knowing how much your portfolio can fall without impacting on your lifestyle is going to be key if you want to remove the fear from falling markets. Another low odds of success activity is trying to pick the next Amazon or Apple. I've never liked the phrase speculate to accumulate because one only needs to look at the poor performance records of a vast amount of active investment managers to see that even these so-called experts can't pick the next Amazon or Apple. If they get it right for a season, they tend not to get it right over many seasons and the odds are certainly stacked up against them trying to get it right over the timeline of your financial plan. Bad investing also includes activities such as owning only a handful of shares or chasing specific markets or sectors or chasing so-called star fund managers by simply looking in the rear view mirror. These type of activities are likely over the long term to lead to disappointment and even worse, increasing the risk of you not securing all that you value and being able to live the life that's important to you and your family. Thinking that three to five years is long term or that you or a fund manager have special insight that others do not or acting on a hunch are all likely to result in disappointment unless, of course, you simply get lucky. But please remember this, luck is not a strategy in which to base your financial future on. Thank you for tuning in to today's Purpose for Wealth podcast and the seven things you need to know before investing all your money. A wise man once said, investing is simple, but it's not easy. The truth is, sensible investing requires you to firstly take on board three key concepts and then to follow what I would call four simple steps. But Before we consider these today, let's start by asking, why is sensible investing important? Well, I would like to suggest your investment plan is likely to be the funding vehicle of your future lifestyle. Furthermore, you will find it easier to plan 
for the future. You will be able to visualize what your financial future could look like. You will probably be less anxious about tomorrow. You will be more readily able to secure all that you value. You will enjoy a successful investment experience. You will be more readily able to live the life that's important to you and your family. And it's worth adding, you'll probably be able to provide for you, your loved ones, as well as the many causes and communities you perhaps care about. Sensible investing requires you to firstly take on board three key concepts and then to follow four simple steps. So let's start with the three key concepts that many investors fail to take notice of. Let's start with concept one. Concept one is the idea that attempting to beat the markets is a zero-sum game. Investing over the long term is a positive-sum game where bond and equity investors enjoy long-term market rewards. These rewards come from lending via bond funds and from ownership via equity funds. Attempting to beat capital markets, as all active or judgmental fund managers aim to do, is simply a zero-sum game. In other words, every winning manager needs to be funded by a losing manager. And supporting this concept is the idea that the average active investor will achieve a return below the market, which is equal to the average fees and trading costs incurred. Just think about that that the average active investor will achieve a return which is below the market, which is equal to the average fees and trading costs incurred. Moving on to concept two, I would like to suggest that you press the mute button when investing. Why am I saying that? Well, as investors, we operate in a very noisy environment. For instance, we are bombarded by fund data revealing short-term market-beating returns of active managers. Yet, these active managers do not own the market. Most active managers will do better or worse than the market simply by chance. And it would take over 20 years to know of an active manager's performance is down to skill or luck. We are bombarded by seemingly great-looking track records of a handful of fund managers Yet, an ever-growing library of empirical evidence reveals that persistent market-beating skill is exceptionally rare, and it's certainly hard to identify in advance. It's true that we, as investors, are bombarded by the marketing activities of active fund management firms. Huge, huge marketing budgets continue to push the short-term performance of a few star funds. We rarely hear about the staggering 60 or so funds that disappear altogether over a 15-year period. And then there's the comparisons to inappropriate market benchmarks or fund sectors, which will be used only to lead you further astray. And then we're bombarded by the many conflicts of interest and the marketing activities of financial journalism. You only need to read certain Sunday papers and you will notice their best buy lists or articles which have been written on account of the large advertising spend of the sponsoring fund management company. If we take time to consider the third concept, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. You know, as investors, we all want to capture high or steady returns with low risk. After all, as investors, we do tend to be guided by two main emotions the emotion of greed and the emotion 
of fear. Anything that promises this, however, deserves much scepticism and really ought to be avoided. And know this, please know this, the risk-return relationship is almost impossible to break. If you want higher returns, you need to accept greater risk and material falls in the value of your portfolio from time to time. Also true, if you want less risk, you need to accept lower returns. Strategies that deliver steady returns until a big loss occurs can be compared to picking up pennies in front of a steamroller and probably ought to be avoided. If it looks too good to be true, it probably is. Well, step one is build a deeply diversified portfolio. Step two is let the markets do the heavy return lifting. Step three, hold on to your returns for dear life. And step four is to maintain that deeply diversified portfolio that you have built. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast, Seven Things You Need to Know About Retirement Planning. Retirement planning is likely to be a key part of a wealth plan or financial plan for most people. For instance, if you are in paid employment, you will you will want to know when you can afford to retire and know that you can live the life that's important to you. And if you're retired, you'll want to know that you can continue to live the life that's important to you. However, it's very true that a robust and sustainable retirement plan means making the most of factors that you have control of, evaluating the factors that are somewhat out of your control or or completely out of your control. So I'll repeat this. If you want to have a robust and sustainable retirement plan, you really need to be making the most of the factors you have total control of and evaluating those factors that are somewhat out of your control or completely out of your control. And so the seven things that you need to know about retirement planning are all factors which we have varying degrees of control of. To start with those factors that are completely out of our control, I would like to suggest there's at least three factors that you cannot control. And these three factors are inflation, capital markets, and government policy. When we think about inflation, inflation is that silent but steady increase in prices over time, and it's probably the number one enemy of the long-term investor. Over the past 30 years, which is about the average length of a two-person retirement, inflation has resulted in an item costing £1 in 1991, now costing £1.88. The purchasing power over these 30 years has nearly halved. And it's worthwhile adding that this seems to have a disproportionate effect on us as we age due to the differences in our spending habits and because of certain price increases in different categories. The questions you need to ask are, how well positioned is your retirement plan against the risk of inflation? What is the the long-term expected return of your retirement portfolio? The other area we have no control of is capital markets. We have no control of capital markets. And the one thing that we can all be sure of is that capital markets will severely challenge us from time to time. History tells us that markets fail. Markets also suffer moments of severe trauma, as we experienced in the financial crisis of 2008. 
And it's true that even seemingly safe assets such as government bonds can suffer severe losses as, as happened in 1920s Germany. There are real risks associated with investing and there are also moments of short-term volatility. However, although we have no control over capital markets, please realise this. Your retirement planning portfolio can enjoy inflation-beating returns entirely from the market rewards and compensation for taking sensible risks with your retirement portfolio. As investors, we can let the markets do the heavy return lifting as opposed to relying on a fund manager's so-called skill. At Wells Gibson, we call it authentic investing. As Warren Buffett once said, the stock market is a device for transferring money from the impatient to the patient. The third area that I want to just talk about briefly today is government policy. We have no control over government policy. And when we think about government's fiscal policy, for instance, you know, we have no control over the changes that the UK's Chancellor might make to capital gains tax or or changes that Scotland's finance minister might make to income tax in Scotland. Yet here we are, we're subject to income tax on income from pensions, including the state pension and rental income. We are subject to income tax and capital gains tax on some investments. We also have no control over the changes that the UK government might make to pension legislation. For instance, we we have seen the the pension lifetime allowance reduced to just under 1.1 million, and this has now been frozen until 2026. What further changes are ahead? Could pension commencement lump sum be subject to tax in the future? We have no control over what changes the government might make to the state pension. Will this be reduced? Will the state pension age soon be 70? Will it soon be means tested? Yet the state pension is likely to play a key part of your retirement plan. Currently, the full new state pension is nearly £180 per week. Now, if we were to just think about £180 a week being provided by an investment portfolio, depending on your rate of withdrawal and the composition of your portfolio, you, you, you might need a portfolio of approximately £300,000 to provide a similar long-term sustainable income in, in comparison to, to the state pension. So it's not insignificant, but yet government policy, government policy is such that the state pension is out with our control. So let's have a think about what are the two factors that are perhaps somewhat out of our control, but maybe got a little bit of control over. This list is not exhaustive. There are two that that certainly come to mind from, from my perspective, and these are employment duration and longevity or life expectancy. When it comes to employment duration, you may not have control over when you retire. So you need to consider having a backup plan You may have to draw income earlier and make your portfolio last longer than you anticipate. For instance, health problems or or disability are cited as the main reason for retirement earlier than planned. Redundancy and finding alternative employment can find many people retiring earlier than planned or expected. And from experience, we often find dentists and in particular practice owners seeking earlier than expected retirement due to the mental or physical stress of being tied to the chair, yet having responsibility for for running a business. It's worth highlighting, however, that despite many retiring earlier than expected, it is true that people are working later in life because they're motivated by the desire to do so. 
the second area that, that we have some element of control, you could you could say, is perhaps our life expectancy or longevity. Average life expectancy does continue to to increase, so it's wise to plan on on the probability of living much longer, perhaps thirty plus years in retirement. If you don't have certainty of income from a defined benefit pension scheme and and are more dependent on an investment portfolio which includes money purchase pensions and investments, you might need to invest a higher percentage of your portfolio in higher risk growth assets. In other words, many of the great companies of the world. However, as we don't know when we will die, we need to make some reasoned and reasonable assumptions about the future. After all, it's perhaps better to run out of life than to run out of money. And the two factors that I would suggest that we do have total control of are planning and our behavior. A successful retirement needs to be planning-driven, which is goal-focused. And this is great news because it removes the burden of correctly guessing future interest rates, inflation, sector returns, and the many other variables that thousands of analysts will spend their days obsessing over. In a culture like today, where we seem to be so market-focused and performance-driven, this approach sees investors acting on a wealth plan as opposed to reacting to investment markets. It means that you, as an investor looking forward to your retirement or as an investor in retirement, you're not reacting to changes in interest rates or what the news is telling you, you're actually being guided by by a wealth plan that has been designed around your, your desired lifestyle. And we don't want to be reacting to investment markets and, and the negative news that we are bombarded with on a daily basis. And ultimately, planning is in your control because you it's your decision. It's your decision to engage in planning. It's your decision whom you will choose as your trusted wealth partner. How to create real wealth with a sense of purpose? Is this a question you have ever asked yourself? Do you want to create real wealth with a sense of purpose? This is a big subject and probably well beyond the scope of this short podcast. However, I would suggest if you want to create real wealth with a sense of purpose, We really need to start by defining your purpose. But first things first, though, you need to establish a trusted partnership with a professional, someone who will design and build a wealth plan, which includes a robust investment plan to weather all economic cycles and seasons. You will want a a wealth plan that includes financial strategies to help you manage your cash flow so you are properly prepared for life's many transitions, you will want to know that there are perhaps strategies to ensure that debt does not choke your financial future or protect you against unexpected, helping you to not pay more tax than you need to, perhaps provide for those who are important to you, and and for many people, making a real difference to the causes and communities you care about. You need to establish a trusted partnership with a professional who will take the time to define what I like to refer to as your three P's, purpose, people, and passions. You need to work with a professional who puts your life at the centre of their conversations with you. You need to work with a professional who comes alongside you and your family and essentially fulfills the role of a family 
finance director. You know, I recall as a young boy when learning to write, dad or mum or, or perhaps it was a teacher at school would come alongside me, taking a hold of my hand so they could show me how to hold the pencil and write my name. And I think it's that picture describes the role of your trusted wealth partner, somebody who's going to come alongside you and help you to design and create your wealth plan. You need to work with a professional who takes time to listen to you, someone who asks the big questions and considers the many transitions that you and your family are likely to face in your life. We want to avoid financial advisors who spend more time talking, trying to encourage you to buy some financial product or investment, which has absolutely no place in your financial life. You need to work with a professional who, who essentially wears three hats. The three hats I like to refer to as the life planning hat, the, hat, there's the wealth planning hat, and then there's the financial advisory hat. The life planning hat is the hat there where your financial professional is trying to discover who's important to you, what's important to you, and why these things are important to you. The wealth planning hat is where the financial planner is specifically focusing on how much is enough, for instance. And then the financial advisory hat would be where that if, if after doing the life planning and the financial planning or wealth planning, it could well be that your, your, your wealth plan needs financial products or, or specific investments to help you achieve and maintain the life that's important to you. But you need to work with a professional who encourages you to engage in life-centered, lifetime wealth planning. And you need to work with a professional who, I think, ultimately stops you doing the wrong things at the wrong times and for the wrong reasons. Someone who will help you to follow through on key actions. So if you're serious about creating real wealth with a sense of purpose, don't delay, though. Do not delay. A wise man once said the best time to invest was 30 years ago. The second best time to invest is today. Well, the same is true when it comes to your financial life. So you too can enjoy clarity, contentment and certainty. You want to know that there's clarity. You want clarity so that you can visualise what your financial future could look like. You want contentment so you're less anxious about tomorrow. And, and you want to bring an element of certainty to your financial life so that you know that you can secure all that you value and all that's important. We all know life is short. I'm nearly 52, yet it doesn't feel like 30 years since I started my career. I'm also convinced after the age of 40, the years seem to pass by so much more quickly than the years before age 40. Like a two-week holiday abroad, the second week seems to pass so much more quickly than the first week, and so it seems with our life. And remember this, you are unique, and you have a purpose in this life. So now's the time to pursue a fulfilled and purposeful life. Take time to define your purpose. Take time to do this. But to do this means answering the big questions such as what is important about money to you? Perhaps it's security or family or lifestyle. If security is important to you, why is this important to you? Perhaps it's because you want to know you and your family will always be provided for in the event of a catastrophe. Or perhaps it's because you've experienced challenging times financially in your own life. And so security going forward is of utmost importance to you. If family, if family is what's important about money to you, perhaps it's because you want your children to attend 
an independent school. Or perhaps it's to provide them with a life that you yourself didn't feel that you benefited from in your childhood years. If lifestyle is important to you, why is that important to you? Is it is it the sense of not running out? Is it what aspect of your lifestyle is is important to you? And then have a think about who's important to you in your life and who you would like to spend more time with. Would you like to have spend more time with? Think about these questions. And looking back, I certainly regret not spending more time with my late father before I died. I remember many an occasion where dad would would ask if I fancied a round of golf at his at a golf course and where he was a member. And yeah, I would decline because something else just seemed more important at that time. You know, it's nearly 15 years since dad died and I would just relish that phone call and that, that round of golf with him today. Yet mum is now in her early 70s and although the lockdown restrictions have not helped, I think it's true I would like to be able to spend a lot more time with her. What would you do if you had more time would it be time with family and friends? Would it be to pursue certain interests or pursuits? Thank you for listening to Purposeful Wealth. Please remember to subscribe, review and come back next week for your next instalment. You can also visit the wellsgibson.uk website for more information on bringing clarity, contentment and certainty to your financial life. The Purpose for Wealth podcast is powered by Wells Gibson Limited, which is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. This podcast does not constitute financial advice and the listener should not regard any of the financial information provided as a personal recommendation. The advice and strategies highlighted might not be suitable for every situation. It is your responsibility to seek the services of a competent professional if assistance is required. Neither Wells Gibson Limited nor the publisher shall be liable for damages arising herefrom. Investments involve risks. The investment return and principal value of an investment may fluctuate so that an investor's shares, when redeemed, may be worth more or less than the original value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. There is no guarantee strategies will be successful.